They arrested me and they put me in jail and called my pappy to throw my bail. And he said, son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Happy Monday, everybody. Oh, Tuesday. Happy whatever day. <laughs> it's it's the start. It's like the fiscal year. Mm, okay, yeah. the five to go podcast week starts on Tuesday for the second week in a row. Although we aim for Mondays, circumstances happened. Okay, just like they did last week. So we're back on here. I'm Doug Fireball Turnbull. Uh, one of three wonderful hosts here, the Five to Go podcast. We have with us Eric Von Hessler. Oh, well, good afternoon. He is uh, off. He's doing marathon shift today because he's his second week of the expanded Von Hessler Doctrine show is rolling now on News ninety five five and AM seven fifty WSB. They do two hours on the air and then a podcast hour, so you can get all of that on our WSB Radio app, wsbradio.com, or any of the uh, the podcast stores. How how has this gone here for the first what six days of I this now? I couldn't be happier. It's going. Seven it's going well. It's going well. But uh, this is my fourth hour today, so hopefully I can continue to run. Well, we'll, we'll try to keep it as uh, concise and as enriched as possible here. And one person that will help us keep it entertaining, he's on the road, scouring the roads of Forsyth County, just like the Moonshiner Runners used to do many years ago. The championship winning mechanic and former track owner, Dan Elliott. How are you doing, guys? <laughs> I said track owner. I meant track operator. Okay, they paid him. He didn't Same pay the track. Thing, yeah, own or operate either one. It's it's both devastating to the soul. <laughs> there you go. Same effect. The whole small fortune joke, right? Well, uh, D- Dan is jo- jo- jumping right in here, and so we, what we want to do, as we do each week, is dive deep on five different stories in the racing world. We do want to wish congratulations, of course, to Martin Truex Jr., who struggled Sunday in the cup race at Charlotte. That was run during the day, and I think was a much better affair because they had some of the track bite they put on the outer groove. They ran in the daytime. They even moved it up toward 1 o'clock to avoid the weather. That was awesome. I remember when <laughs> races used to start at noon and 1. I, 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 I like those days. Uh, yeah. Dan, don't you like the earlier start times? Doug, I like a race. I don't care if it's run in the wee hours of the morning. I love a race. <laughs> That's why. Okay. Well, you know, uh, I wish I wish there were more people. I wish the people doing the ratings at NBC, like they were like, oh, okay, they just like a race. Like you know, yeah, everybody. I think I think the way the ratings have gone, they could probably use all of that. So it it, it was ran earlier in the afternoon. There was a lot of drama. There were more cautions this past race and kind of. Stuff to break it up and give some teams chances to come back. And at one point, our race winner, Martin Truex Jr., now I think his sixth win of the season, he uh, had a chances to come back when he was running outside of the top ten. Okay, and, and I want to pass a stat here. I don't know if either of you heard this before we get into our five subjects. i just got to say, stage one, Martin Truex Jr. didn't get any stage points. That was the first stage that he did not get any points since Daytona. Did not know that. Yeah, so he finished in the top 10 in, I think, each stage one and stage two of every race, or at least the stage one of every race since Daytona in July. You know, he's starting to look inevitable. I'm not saying he's inevitable right now, but he's starting to look like that. Well, we're going to get into the points picture right away, so we're going to lead off, guys, because Martin Drex Jr., he's got the race win and the leadoff of this round here. We know that he'll be in the round of eight as we move forward in NASCAR's playoffs, but we had kind of an attrition-happy race but most of the playoff drivers finished in the top 15 or so of the field. One glaring exception was uh, Mr. Melt in your mouth, not in your hand. Uh, is that what it is? No, yeah, something like that. Uh, Kyle Busch, who managed to wreck about four different times, including when he was running in second place, and he finished, I believe, in the 29th position. He now enters Sunday's treacherous Talladega race 
only 10 points or less to the good of the cutoff line. Eric Von Hessler, I want to pitch to you here. We were talking a little before before we hit the record button. Kyle Busch was the second-best driver as far as playoff points are concerned, and here he is, not on life support. He's still okay, but certainly has a challenge ahead. He's in a little bit of danger, and I think we're all just sort of learning this, the newest of the new systems of winning a championship and so it's a little bit of a surprise that he might be in trouble given the year that he's had. But uh, if NASCAR's aim was to make the playoffs more like playoffs in other sports, then they've done it because you can have a great role going in other sports and you lose one game and you're out for good. He's not out for good, but he has one bad race at the wrong time. And, you know, he sees himself, like you said, it's much more of a challenge than any of us would have expected going into Talladega. How many times have we seen at Talladega, Dan Elliott, where Kyle Busch in 2014 seemed primed to make a great championship run? He wrecks at Talladega, it's over with, and that was the first year that we had this elimination format. We saw in 2016 both Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex Jr. blowing engines at Talladega. Their playoff hopes were done, and that was back when it was an elimination race. They moved it up to make it a mid-round race because of the high uh, chance for a wreck. Dan, do you think that Kyle Busch, is that something that the 18 team should worry about, or do you think they've been strong enough to overcome that? He almost won it in the spring. You know, I think it's the luck of the draw anymore as far as what you're going to see here for the championship, because as is always said to me, it isn't over until the fat lady sings, and she ain't sung yet. And it's going to offer a lot of surprises from many different directions. And probably at the end of this, we're going to look and say, well, you know, I didn't see that one coming because you're you're talking about a man that uh, won a championship by missing, what he missed, eight races and won a championship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he won the championship in 2015. And that I don't think anybody expected when he got his leg tore up at Daytona that Kyle Busch was going to be the champion at the end of the year. And it just goes to show it's something yeah. to get used to in this he, format. That particular year. He turnarounds because thought that he would even have been a candidate because at that time, probably as well as myself, I'd done written him off and probably so did 90% of the fans that were out there predicting who was going to win the championship. Yeah, I was going to say, that was that was uh, one of those years where he got all of his bad luck out of the way <laughs> right at the beginning of the year, then he, he would just ran to the championship after that. Yeah, and there was a point, I think, where he won, what, three out of four races or something like that. It was, it was outstanding what he did in 2015, and it's been outstanding what he's done this year without some of the bad breaks. I think he only has three race wins this season. Kyle Busch is an eight- or nine-time winner. There, we've seen a bunch of races thrown away. So think about this. If, if Kyle Busch just has one or two more race wins, that's ten playoff points, not to mention two more trophies. Right. And he's in a better position than he is now. I wanted to get up the exact playoff standing, so wasn't just sitting here guessing in front of your eyes. Uh, Kyle Busch right now is uh well those are the wrong playoff standings it was about seven to ten points how was he doing then (laughs) how was he doing that no they they, they're done by the order of the classic points for some reason on the place i was looking there so i'm trying to pull that up but it it goes to show there's drivers right there at the cut line that that are right even matt kenseth uh ricky stenhouse jr and a lot of people of dan are circling ricky stenhouse jr saying well he's won the last two points races this is the only way he gets to the, the round of eight and what i saw sunday at Charlotte as he struggled mm-hmm. and then he kind of rose up and was an 11th 12th place driver and it seemed like he was right in the thick to where you really couldn't write him off yeah where do these drivers come from where are our usual candidates for a chase championship at this point and why aren't we talking about them and 
where where is this new round of drivers coming from? Yeah, you know, so I would wonder with uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I don't I I my I, I wonder more about the team. I wonder about Roush Fenway. Do they have what it takes? More so than the driver. Yeah, certainly, and that's yeah. the thing is they're only a two car team to begin with right now. You know, they they have he and Trevor yeah. Bain. They don't really have any relationships otherwise. Fords have struggled, although all the talk has been about Martin Truex Jr. after Charlotte, who dominated the first two thirds of that race and won the first two stages. The Ford of Kevin Harvick, yeah. and Harvick d- had some strong runs throughout the year, but hasn't had the finishes. Some people have written Harvick off as a candidate to even go forward in the playoffs, but to me, I didn't see that Sunday. I wouldn't. I wouldn't write him off. I, I just uh, the Fords seem to be there in the middle of races, and then they seem to kind of fade away when the checkered flag comes out. The four drivers that are oh, go ahead, Dan. One thing for sure is you cannot discount the fact that this is not a point in time that you can be hot one week and cold the next. You have to be consistently very, very good at this particular point in the game. That's correct, and that's what the Toyotas have been. By the way, we are now, what, four races into the playoffs? Four races, yeah, because we had Chicagoland, New Hampshire, Dover, now Charlotte, two race wins for Truex, two for Kyle Busch. It seems like it's unpredictable, but at the same time, we have Busch have these problems. And so here's the deal. Busch is sixth in the standings based on the number of points, but he is only 12. I keep losing my spot here. He's only about 12 points to the good. Yeah, over ninth place Matt Kenseth, who's the first driver out. 12 points is not a big cushion. If he if he gets in trouble at Talladega, he goes into Kansas and probably, unless a bunch of other drivers wreck a must-win situation, here are the four drivers that are out. You have Kenseth, who is one point behind eighth place Jamie McMurray. You have Brad Keselowski, one point behind Kenseth. Ryan Blaney, three points behind Keselowski. And then Ricky Stenhouse is 10 points out of the cutoff, but that's nothing at Talladega. Yeah, going to, yeah exactly. Yeah. And he should be strong there. I don't know if he's going to win another one on a, uh, a a plate track, but he should be strong there. He should be in the top ten. Do, do each? I want to ask. I want to stay on this topic for one one more mini question here. Do each of you have one driver besides Stenhouse that you think is just done? You know, I don't believe that anybody's done. I think it's it's just the luck of the draw and fate, and however the cards draw it as to what's going to happen. And I'm telling you. Just look out for surprises. Yeah, I don't know about Dunn. I, the, I'm, I'm always interested in Jamie McMurray. Yes, who is eighth right now. He's the driver on the cutoff bubble. He's one of these guys who has, hasn't won much, but what he's won in his career have been you know top flight races. Yep. He's been like if he was a golfer, he he always he always gets the big ones. Um, and so I and also because I know that team is so behind Kyle Larson, his team has to be benefiting from some of that. And so I, I, I find him to be the wild card. I wouldn't be surprised if he dropped out. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, at the end of the season, if he was up there in the top three or four fighting for Like it. Ryan Newman a few years yeah, ago. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Dan says nobody's out. And Jamie McMurray could be either way on the fence for you. I'll tell you one driver. I've just been, or two actually, I've been completely surprised they haven't shown any teeth. And I'm not saying Jimmy Johnson because right. a lot of people are saying that. That is certainly true. He's just been hanging in there. We haven't heard crap from Ryan Blaney. We haven't heard squat, and he was so fast at the beginning of the year, and I feel like as soon as he won that race, 
J- Jeremy Bullins, the, the crew chief of the 21, that crew, it just seemed like the steam went away and they would s- sometimes show up in the top 10 and sometimes not. And then his quasi-teammate will be his teammate next season. Brad Keselowski was toast on Sunday. Yeah. Logano was a lap down early as part of the Penske trio there. And Keselowski really didn't even have a sniff of the top 10. That is not like... Penske Fords or the Wood Brothers Ford now to see Ryan Blaney and Kozlowski out of the conversation. So I, I'm really surprised with that. So we'll see how it unfolds. Talladega usually unearths a new winner. It's usually a Game 7 moment, but this is more like Game 6 since it's the middle of the round. Yeah, but one thing, one thing about Talladega is you don't know about the big one and who's going to be in it. And if you can just leave Talladega with a good finish, you have accomplished a lot. Hey, that's correct, and you never know. There was a lot of attrition, like I said, at Charlotte on Sunday, and so I think it, we probably have more of the same. How many points out is Jimmy Johnson? I don't want to put you on the spot because no, I know no, that, we, I still have it here. So yeah. Jimmy Johnson is seventh in the standings, fifty-five back to sixty-three. So he is eight points to the good over ninth place Matt Kenseth. It's hard to write him off, but I I, I have been surprised by that performance. I they just haven't gotten up front. Yeah, I just, and Chase is out there and and, and, and and getting, you know, top fives, top Three twos, top fives. Two, a lot of top twos. Yeah. Three top fives and four and races. It's surprising to me that, uh, I mean, does, is the Chad-Jimmy thing not working all of a sudden? I don't know. Uh, it, it's really be interesting to see. Uh, so Hendrick Motorsports, by the way, I've, I've got a crazy Alex Jones conspiracy theory. There we need go. Tim Andrews to do the voice now. Okay, I've got one of these. They Tendrick Motorsports for some reason decided last week on I think Thursday night to unveil their paint schemes for the Daytona 500 in October. I, I, all four of them, that's all set. And Jimmy Johnson's was all black. And it said like Lowe's Pro something. Yeah. But it was all black for the 500. And that just makes me wonder is are we looking at the Jimmy Johnson farewell tour next year? I don't know. I mean, yeah. he's got it. Look, he has got to try for number eight a few more times oh, to sure. be this close to have having the most. And at his age, I got to think he's got to be looking at least a couple more seasons to try to get number eight. How many left for Jimmy Johnson, Dano? I would say I'm like Eric. I, I think there's there's a few left there because he's got to go for number eight. No question. I mean, he's that's how I felt too. It. That's how I feel also. Yeah. I just was very surprised. Now, if he jumps <laughs> up and wins this one surprisingly, if Truex falls apart, things don't work out for Kyle uh, or the Kyles, and he jumps up and wins one, then maybe at that point he calls it. Well, I, I don't know. NASCAR must know something you don't know. <laughs> NASCAR must know. They must have this already plotted out. Junior's going to give it to him. Uh, yeah, so. Hey, by the way, on that one, before we go to the next thing, if you were at Hendrick Motorsports, shouldn't you be trying to give Dale Earnhardt Jr. the best machine possible (laughs) for this race? I mean, this should be what it's all about because, let's face it, he probably does not have a chance to win a race outside of this one. And if they give him the right equipment, you would think that he's got a real shot. That's what I would think. I It seems to me that the 88 team will be – I mean, this is Talladega country. When The only two reasons people really cheer at Talladega are for a wreck or for Junior taking the lead. That was my experience <laughs> at the grandstands. I think I covered that last week. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, you would think, Dano, especially with Casey Kane being out of the playoffs with – Elliott having a decent point cushion, a lot of focus would be on the 48 and the 88. I agree. Well, <laughs> well you and I both know that uh, 88 is definitely the fan favorite at Talladega as well as Daytona probably. And you go to a lot of places and, and Dale is a favorite. But I would say that uh, the Hendrick organization is going to throw everything at all the cars that are in the chase. And 
I know Rick well enough to know that he's not going to give anything up. He's not going to leave anything on the table for these last races. And to back that up, Casey Kane had a loose wheel, unscheduled green flag stop this past Sunday, and he had a pit road speeding penalty. And very soon after that was back up at the top yeah. 10. I, I can't remember where he finished, but that shows that the five team with now Darian Grubb as the crew chief definitely shows some steam. So I want to get to the next deal, and this has to do with Sunday's race. Subject number two is uh, several drivers in an autumn-October race had heat exhaustion, including Kyle Busch, whose car hit the wall, I think, four different times. He spun out several times. When that happens, folks, you have all that kind of damage. The car is usually pretty sealed up. It's certainly some fumes got inside the car. It was a humid day. I think his cooling unit stopped working, and Bush actually was laying down next to his car after the race and needed some treatment and eventually went to the care center. Matt DiBenedetto and Ty Dillon also received treatment. And I wanted to go to you, Dan, first. You raced in the Cup Series, or you were part of the Elliott family team in the Cup Series in an era where substitute drivers were common. What has evolved over the years to get rid of needing a substitute driver? And maybe what is the most, and I use this millennial term now, legendary uh, scene of endurance that you've seen over the years? Well, you and I both know that when you go back to the races that were 500-mile events and you take them in the part of the year where the summer weather, whether it be Talladega, whether it be Charlotte 600, whether it be Dover, you take these phenomenons where weather doesn't cool off any and it's hot and it's humid and the cars are closed up now more than ever before. And you started out with cool suits, cool boxes, all the things that would, would aid in the driver being able to go the distance. But circumstances kind of are where that... Um, you're going to have some events now that that heat is going to play a factor. I don't know that you could you could never get back into the driver change anymore and and have anything competitive because all the cars are custom made to a driver anymore and and there's no That's putting anybody else in and you couldn't do it anyway in the time allotted. So you, you gotta you gotta deal with what you got and. Um, it's got to toughen the drivers up a little bit and be be able to stand the heat. Well, and and they get drivers do routinely get fluids after races. Sometimes if they're feeling ill, they'll get stuff before races. Eric, you and I were talking a little bit before. What are some of the maybe something you remember watching on TV where you're like, my gosh, how do they survive? Well, I that? didn't I didn't see this uh, in real time, but I saw it in uh, uh, watching an old race on TV, and I think it was during uh, one of the World Six Hundreds, the longest Charlotte. race of the year. The yeah, race to Eric would probably be. Uh, 2001 what what no 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 I, this is like uh this is oh, like making fun of me now this is like the 70s but i i, I know there's it was either the 70s or the 80s but there's one race where richard P petty gets not richard Pryor. not richard Pryor. Yeah, no. he was in the movie he was in a <laughs> uh, uh, richard petty was was pulled out of the out of the car and uh brought oxygen in the middle of the race they put a replacement driver in they pulled him out and they, they were oxygen on him for a good long time but i think uh, there was a lot of carbon monoxide more than the heat that day he was taking in a lot of carbon monoxide and just didn't know who he was at, at that point. Yeah, exactly. He, he Well, he thought he was Kyle Petty. That's that was right, the yeah. problem. Yeah, he gave out, he's like, hey, why, I need to grow my hair long. Yeah. What happened? You Where's know? my ponytail? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Doug, you, you can go back and remember the races that if it used to be pretty common that you would break a header tube off during a race and car would fill up with carbon dioxide and or you'd hit the wall or be involved in a wreck and 
damaged the crush panels and and you'd get that up in the car and the driver after the race was over would either have to be hospitalized overnight or he would suck some uh, oxygen and some IVs for a couple of hours after the event before he could even go home. It used to be commonplace. It's just not that anymore. Uh, one thing to add to the cool boxes and the cool suits, I think power steering has certainly helped with the endurance races. You go back to those. Yeah. Uh, you go back to Cal Yarbrough and those guys. I mean, they're doing six hundred miles with no power steering. And now, well, oh, well, remember Doug the race at Harry Gant. Uh, one of the races at Bristol didn't it rain? And they ran the Bush race on Sunday morning before the Cup race, or maybe it was Saturday morning before the Cup race. On okay. Saturday night, they ran two races in one day, and he ran the equivalent of like a thousand laps, and it was just incredible. Yeah, and Tony Stewart did the double on uh, Indy on we've uh, seen uh, yeah. Indy and Charlotte a couple of times. Yeah, and and Stewart uh, during one of those needed s- severe uh, d- dehydration and and treatment because I was of at that. one yeah. of those races. I think he came in something like uh, third or fourth in Indy, and then uh, had a top ten or something close to it in the uh, six hundred. Exactly. Yeah, Tony Stewart. That's a good one you bring up. Another one I think of is when Ricky Rudd won Martinsville. I think it was in ninety eight or ninety nine, and he just collapsed next to his car, just sitting against it. And they had to. They had to put that on there. It was a Martinsville race where it was unusually yeah. hot, and I think in October, I think it was the fall race, and he and, uh, was struggling there. I'm, I'm bl- uh, Bobby Hamilton. Uh, there was a there was a race at Talladega. Yes. that had no yellow flags. Yes, it was 2001. And it, he yes. got out of the car and just went straight to the ground. That's back when small teams could still win races. Yeah, it was Remember the that? double yeah. D? Was that the <laughs> double square D? <laughs> square D. <laughs> <laughs> the square D, yeah, it was, yeah. He was driving for Andy Petrie Racing in the 55, and he won a caution-free event at Talladega. An exciting finish, too. He didn't dominate the thing. So. There were no small teams, just small drivers. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. That sounds like something Bobby Hamilton would say. Rest in peace. So let's, no, let's... that's something that Ricky Bobby would say. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky Bobby Hamilton. By the way, Bobby Hamilton Jr. in all sorts of lawsuits and trouble. Just to just to throw that out there, he said he's had all sorts of issues. Really? Yeah. He uh, just, he, he, I wondered he, what happened to him because yeah, he was in the uh, Xfinity when it was called the Bush Series. He he was. He even got to the Cup Series. Then there was something where he allegedly pulled a gun on someone at a racetrack, and then there's oh, been all sorts of good. disputes about paying people for his ARCA team. Well, a whole mess there. Oh, I, I wish I wish Bobby could get it together because he's had a falling out with almost. Everybody, it seems oh, like I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I, wasn't, I was wondering what happened to him, including his stepmom, Bobby Hamilton's widow. So that's that's mm. a whole another thing. I want to jump into this though. This is kind of what I see as our sort of centerpiece topic of the day, subject number three, and that is revenue sharing, whether it's between the teams and the drivers or between just the pie itself and how much the race teams get. There have been two very interesting headlines or articles that have come out in the last week that a lot of people in NASCAR have been talking about. The first involves Denny Hamlin talking about driver salaries from top to bottom, not just the top, need to be more reflective of what players in major sports get. And, of course, a lot of people just ran with that headline and didn't hear any of the qualifiers or any of the details that he was saying. And Hamlin's pretty much his his thought was is teams don't get a bit enough share of the money, thus they have to rely on sponsorship, and sponsorship should be just bonus money. They, teams should have enough money already to be viable and thus able to pay their drivers better. And he said that somebody running 35th is risking their life just as much as a big shot like him who runs in the top five, and they, and they assume that risk. The next story, and this was fascinating, this came out on JeffGluck.com yesterday. He had Tommy Joe Martins, a a driver who's been in the truck series and in the Xfinity series now for a couple of years and has owned his own race team with his dad, say that he broke down and drilled into the numbers 
of NASCAR's revenue. And for the TV deal, which got signed before the 2015 season, 10 years, $8.2 billion. NASCAR gets 10%. The tracks get 65%. And then what does that leave? At least 25% to go between the, tr- the cup, the Xfinity, and the truck series. And he said that the percentages that they get per series are 94% for cup, and then whatever's left for Xfinity and half of a percent for trucks. Mm. And he said that that doesn't even cover for the truck series the entry fee to get into a race if you divide it up hey, amongst the teams. <clears throat> hey, Dougie, who owns, who owns the racetracks? Well, NASCAR owns uh, is affiliated with ISC, and they own the majority of the tracks. So you can also roll their, their number <laughs> into it. And that's the point. That's what somebody that commented on it said is even more so is that NASCAR gets their own, and then they own a bunch of the tracks. So my question to both of you guys is I just threw a bunch of stuff at you. What could be done? His his proposal, Tommy Joe Martin's, my last thing to wrap this long question up here, Tommy Joe Martin said instead of 94% going to Cup as far as the money goes, it should be ratings proportional. Cup gets about 70% of ratings compared to 20% of Xfinity and I think 10% in trucks. And if you swash those numbers out and spread it out that way, small teams could draw a profit without a sponsor. And then a sponsor is just bonus money. The big teams will still be big, and, and that loss of prize money won't affect them. So, Dan, I'll come to you first there since you've been in the team ownership and management business, and, of course, I want to go to you, Eric. It, does this seem like a viable thing? Do the complaints of Hamlin and the suggestions of Martins make sense, and could they happen? Well, if you're going to ask me that question, I'm already biased anyway because if you That's took okay. and uh, added up the hours that I work and divided that by the pay I got, it wouldn't meet minimum wage. Oh. So whenever the drivers start talking about what they're making and their risk, um, I hadn't seen any of the drivers get run over on pit road and I got run over twice. So, you know, in the scheme of things, to me, it's much ado about nothing. That's a, that's a fair you know, point. Well, and a know, lot of people said that. And, well, when it comes to drivers, uh, I, I remember Richard Childress used to say that. I think when Harvick first joined, he said, uh, you know, he'd go out there and race hard for uh, a Coke and a bag of chips. That's and, that's, and that's the kind of guy you want who is out there for the racing. Look, there's no doubt that it's a dangerous sport. We know that. Everyone knows that going in. Um, so uh, I don't. I understand what he's saying, but maybe it's a little too played up, and I'm sure there was more nuance in there. I think Hamlin came back and said, look, I'm, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the he, guy who's running in 30. He said that while he made the statement. He made the qualifier right. look. Yeah, I'm not the guy. And of yeah. course, afterwards, what people did is they took Hamlet's comment and then showed yeah. pictures of his house in Lake right, Norman, right, right. which is bigger than even Junior's house. It's a huge yeah. house. The so, more the, yeah. the more interesting aspect of that is the the breakdown of the money and how much of it goes to the tracks. Now, I hadn't thought about NASCAR owning so many tracks. I, when I first heard that, I thought, well, they're subsidizing the tracks because maybe the fans aren't there, and if you don't have tracks, you don't have races. Well, so true. they see it as a as a bottom line thing. But I hadn't I hadn't remembered that NASCAR has ownership in so many of these tracks. So w- what's happening with that money? I don't know. It seems- and, and it's all private and sealed. This isn't public yeah. domain, right? We don't know even what the drivers make. We certainly don't know how much Brian France, Lisa France, Kennedy, and yeah, we're not even home. down yeah. to publishing the what what money winnings are after an event anymore. We used yeah. to be, and now we're not, ever well, since the charter system came about. And the charter system affects this, too, in the Cup Series, where the 36 established teams with a charter do get more Now, are they looking share. at this, Dougie? Do you think they're looking at this like it's a franchise and it's like a football team or a baseball team where a, where a player gets a kajillion dollars to sign up and play and um, you're – 
pretty much can free agent can go anywhere you want to go, but, but you're guaranteed that you're going to get a large sum of money just because you're in this realm in this field. Well, so Tommy Joe Martin's statement was really more in support of smaller teams and trying to get it viable because right now, especially the, the truck series, the right? truck series, the entry fee is almost $1,700, but the TV share of the money, and that doesn't include prize money for the race itself is less is a thousand. So you don't even cover the entry fee of the race from mm-hmm. your TV money, and then the set of tires, thirty five hundred bucks, and so on and so on. Denny Hamlin's point was that as we're through this wave right now that we've talked about in the first few episodes of this podcast, where a Matt Kenseth can't find a ride because there is no sponsor because nobody wants to pay him what he deserves. Let's be real; he deserves a multi million dollar contract with his resume, and he's still competitive. Um, Denny yeah, Hamlin's well, point was that the teams that, oh, challenge yeah, sure. one point there Please. a little bit though. Look, Please. Matt Kenseth is not ever going to starve. He's got the money, and he has to make the decision as to whether or not the risk reward. From, well, I don't know. Have uh, you seen me? I'm quite skinny. <laughs> <laughs> he has to decide. You know, at his age, is it worth the risk reward? It is a dangerous sport. But if he wants to race, if he really wants to race, what's wrong with later in your career? Uh, accepting a little less money if the alternative is you don't race. I don't think there's any, especially since unlike other athletes that we were just saying, no one's going to know what the money is. It's not going to be out there. It's not going to embarrass you. So I, uh, I put a little bit of that on Matt Kenseth. If he still wants to race, then I would lower the money as opposed to not racing. He's made his money, right? Well, that's a fair point, and, sh- mm-hmm. and for sure. And so, look, I, I think that – is a fair point. I'm not. I'm not even. You know. I'm not taking sides. But I'm certainly. No, I jumped not, in there. And I think. Said, no, well, mm-hmm. Denny Hamlin. I think was saying that he thinks that just all the expenses of a team, including the driver salary, that that was what his expanded comments were on. Is look right. for us to even have a rat's. You know, a rat's chance. We have to spend this much money, and we're completely dependent upon our sponsors. If we had just a little bit more money, his argument and mm-hmm. his team spends more money than any of them. Joe Gibbs Racing. If we had a little bit more money, we could be less dependent on sponsors. So if a sponsor pulls out, like with Matt Kenseth's right. case, Dollar General did last year, we're not completely going bankrupt. And that was Tommy Joe Martin's point also you know, in revenue think, sharing with this TV This makes money. me think is all this rumbling that's going on really comes down to one thing. If you didn't have advertisers leaving the sport, I mean, uh, uh, sponsors leaving the sport, you wouldn't have people rumbling about other things. <laughs> so in true. reality, yes. this is all because of the fact that it's harder to get and keep big money sponsors in the sport right now. And and also the driving talent is just not based on it. It's it's only based on whether they could bring a sponsor and to talk, I'm juxtaposing between the articles here, but that was Tommy Joe Martin's point as well. I suggest to everyone, including Dan, Dan, you and uh, Eric, if you hadn't gotten a chance to read, to go to jeffglug.com. It's the lead article on there, and the the money he breaks down. I was I even though I talked forever, I'd only skimmed it. It, it really was quite interesting. Uh, Dan, being in just the on the track side and the team side in the past, I mean. Do you see with the TV money, not even that, that and that's going to change. Let's face it, the end of 10 years, that's oh, going to yeah. become less. Do you think there's any way, do you think it's, is it fair to try to skew it more to help the lower two series out? Well, you know that the fat's got to fry the lean. So <laughs> to keep, to keep those series going, they're going to have to do something. And it comes down to the magic question of how long are you going to pull them along? And what are you going to do for racing if these series go away? Because their their feeder systems off a cup hand me down, so to speak, in some sense, because you've got to have places for these parts and services to go. And there aren't very many places left. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, certainly we're seeing right now we don't have full fields hardly in any series, especially trucks. I I think of of the Xfinity series uh, back when it was the Bush series, and it seems to me, uh, maybe, maybe I was more focused on it and knew more, but it seems to me that they had genuine stars of their own. Yeah, Jason uh, Keller. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Green. Uh, yeah, Jeff Green. Yeah, but this a, yeah. plays back into some of the deal of how how expensive it is to compete at any level in this stuff. And until something is done to address that, I don't think it's going to change. I I think it's pretty much a deal. I'm sorry, the rich get richer, mm. and and they command more of the slice of pie because. You know, I didn't know. I asked one of the guys when they came down and, and tested the 48 car, how many people Henrik employed? Do you have oh. a fair guess as to how many people they employ? Oh, so this is what, 2011? This was probably 2012. Okay, because, yeah. And you mean over all their programs? The whole, all? Yeah, uh, over the whole thing. 600? 450 I was gonna, people at that time, which could four, probably yeah. equate to. 500 550 at, at this time right so, yeah teams right. have definitely ballooned back up because there was the 08 recession and people were getting laid off and teams yeah. were shut down left and right i and think who Joe, are they trying to protect as far as a small team owner who are they trying to protect because most everybody in this deal has got mega money yeah well the, the i think what this feeds into what especially what tommy joe martin said is if you could just if we know that we there is there is certain money here in this contract there is $8.2 billion over 10 years. That's $820 million a year. You take out NASCAR, the company, not ISC, but NASCAR, the company share. Let's just say $800 million a year gets distributed. And the truck series gets half of 1%. Mike Mittler, pretty much Mike Mittler takes his truck to the track every week and starts and parks and maybe still doesn't break even. But in this, in this model here, and of course this is all just some extrapolation, a truck series owner that enters a race without a sponsor with, you know, moderate costs for everything, not spending top money could still make almost a hundred thousand dollars a year and keep his team open and be on the track and maybe still only run 15th or 20th, but be viable. And with no trucks on the track, there is no reason to have a track. And we saw red horse racing with a big money owner, Tom DeLoach, shut it down out of nowhere in the middle of the season. And I think that's what really opened a lot of eyes. Yeah, I, 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 it's, I understand all these, all the money thing, but it goes back to the product that is put on out there, and it's a sport, and somehow you have to get back to creating individual stars because they they create fan bases, they get, they get their own fans, that and you activate the sport through their personalities and their way of driving and the way that, and I just feel like, I mean, even at the cup level, we don't have it the way that we did even just four or five seasons ago. Uh, but when you get down to the the uh, the truck level and the, you know, if somebody asked me what was your last favorite rivalry in NASCAR. <laughs> I would go back to the Bush series with Biffle and Harvick. Oh, yeah. Not the Cup series. So, uh, to me, that's what I remember. Those guys would go after each other after races were over, jumping over cars. It was yeah, exciting. The guy, yeah. It was exciting. And that that's not at the Cup level. That's, yeah, Biffle you know, got several of those. Yeah, it's at the Cup level. You got and Danica Harvick. and Richard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh.
gosh. I know, but you see what I'm saying? Is you look at the NFL and you look at the NBA. Look at the NBA. I mean, it is so star-driven. Now, you could never get that far in NASCAR, but I think that there's not enough of it. And if you could solve, we can get out here to how the money goes here and where the money goes and how it's distributed, but the only reason we're having these conversations is because fans aren't going to the tracks as much as they used to. The TV ratings aren't what they used to be. And because the product, I think, is not compelling and they need to stop trying to be Nintendo or chase TV all the time and turn the product into a day of racing the way that it used to be that you want to go to. I said this, I think, in the first podcast. I think they chase television way too much and you go to a track and you feel forgotten. Yeah, Thirty and, laps into a race, and ten, ten year to the tune of ten years, eight point two billion. They right. chase television. They still managed to get a huge TV deal with the ratings going down. Yeah, absolutely right. So I want to move on then to the next topic as you talk about future stars of the sport. We talk about the adjustment of driver salaries. It was not Mad Kenseth or Kurt Busch that had a, a swing at the number eighty eight when Dale Jr. announced his retirement. Hendrick chose the wheelman that carried that car for almost half of last season, Alex Bowman. Out of Arizona, Alex Bowman, who had never won in NASCAR but had sprint car success and had shown people some things in running in mid-tier or low-tier equipment, and Rick Hendrick decided to give him the nod after running for a, bu- a bunch in their test simulator and doing a bunch of work behind the scenes. Well, he finally has won a NASCAR race Saturday night at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and it was it was no gimme. He went out there and actually got the win, and he is now race winner. That being said, Eric Von Hessler... The pressure's on you. Yes. Is he truly fit to take over a top-flight ride at Hendrick Motorsports next season? I I cannot answer that question because I have oh! to, No, hold on. No, I will answer the question. <laughs> what I'm saying is I can't. What I'm saying is I have to trust Rick Hendrick and his ability to put people behind the wheel that belong there. I don't know much about Alex Bowman's history. I don't. So I, I will. I will. I'd like to see him in that. It's a. It's a heck of an opportunity. I know it has something to do with about the amount of money that people want to be paid, that uh, owners want to pay. But I was when Kyle Larson jumped into the Juan Pablo ride. I was at first. I was like, Is he ready for that? Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I, is this what's going on here? And very quickly, even though he didn't start out by winning races he showed me that he belonged in that ride and was going to do more with it than Juan Pablo so I don't know enough about Alex Bowman but I will say this I don't know who he is I I don't you know he's gonna if he goes out there and he's competitive at the beginning of next year it's gonna surprise me and fine that'll be good I think this comes back to what Eric had said last week or a couple weeks ago about where the veterans going I think Doug this is the new norm you bring people in that can either bring sponsors in, can bring something to the table when they come, and ain't costing the owner a ton of money, and I believe this is your new norm. It may very well be. And Alex Bowman, he did a very good interview. I haven't even finished listening to it, but it was with Nate Ryan on the NASCAR and NBC podcast where he he goes long form with one person in the sport each mm-hmm. week. It, it was really I mean, very eye-opening because he talked about coming into NASCAR and having some moderate – success with RAB Racing in the number 99 car in the Xfinity Series in 2013. He decided to go NASCAR racing because he didn't see a path to IndyCar, and he was coming from the sprint car ranks. And then right after a moderate season in Xfinity, he immediately goes cup racing for BK Racing and gets demoralized, realizes, I have no shot to win. Next year goes to Tommy Baldwin Racing, I have no shot to win. But he did a couple of things and a couple of spot starts for Junior Motorsports 
that caught the eye of Rick Hendrick and Dale Jr. to sign him up for nine races in 2016. He lost his cup ride with Tommy Baldwin racing, but that ended up being a huge opportunity for him because it opened the door for the ride with Dale Jr. He literally had not won anything in NASCAR before, but he had won a bunch of ARCA races in, in one season, I think in 2012 or 13. Look, he's impressing so the he's, right people, he's, right? Yeah, yeah, he's turning the eyes. And Dale Jr.'s managed before to pull these people out of obscurity. Anybody remember Brad Keselowski, <laughs> yeah. right? They, Brad Keselowski, in fact, his first ever blog post, he reshared it this week on bradracing.com, his his homepage, yeah. was about how Dale Jr. found him. And he saw Brad and terrible equipment pass Dale Jr.'s own car in the Xfinity race, and he goes, I need to keep an eye on him. Yeah. And then sure enough, when opportunity met luck, uh, it, or opportunity preparation met, luck happened. So, uh, didn't, Hey, uh, Doug, yeah. go back and remember, things just aren't, Nobody comes into this deal as a rookie anymore anyway. All of these kids are groomed since they're about two years old to do what they're doing, and they have had many, many thousands of laps under their belt before they ever get in one of these cars. So you can't go in. It's not like it used to be where a driver comes out and starts driving at 16 or even 20 years of age. All these kids are groomed to be where they are, and they are groomed. And a cup rookie and, used to be 30 years old. You yeah. think about Dale Earnhardt, Exactly, right? exactly. So so now you consider what the age is that, that kids get into racing, and most of them start four to five years old. And by the time they get to be 15 or 16, they've got more experience than a lot of drivers have had in a lifetime. Yeah, how old is Kyle Larson now? Kyle uh, Larson, I think, is 24. Yeah, and he's, I think he has something like 18 years of racing experience. Yeah, 18 years <laughs> of racing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's unreal. And of course, let's go no further than Chase, your nephew, Dan. I mean, Chase has been in go-karts or Legends cars ever since a little kid, was in a late model at 13 years old. I used to see guys at Gresham Motorsports Park have to get almost creative. Yeah, nope. yeah he would have been <laughs> weaned on a snow coat fuel can. That's correct, yeah. So, but, but that we saw 13-year-olds going around Gresham Motorsports Park, yeah. which is a fast half mile. Yeah, we saw some that might not even been 12 years old because um, they had kind of altered with things (laughs) that make you legal to drive at 12 years old. That's correct. So some weren't even 12 years old. And like I said, things have just changed and they're groomed from the beginning to do what they're doing. And they are experienced by by all forms of the imagination they are experienced in what they're doing and they are let me make this perfectly clear they're all good drivers right and that's one point i think that maybe that would now junior say the other day is you know i know i'm 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 struggling here roush let me understand let me i just want you to understand something guys we're all in the cup series the difference between the top and the bottom as far as driving talent is far less than what it is between the top car and the slowest car and it also it also may explain when you, you started with Matt Kenseth, now he's competing against people. It used to be if he was going to compete against a guy who was 20 years old, he'd be a guy who didn't have much experience. But now he's f- for the, the guy behind the wheel and what he can do for you, a guy like Matt Kenseth at this point in his career has much more competition in experience uh, from the young drivers than in the past. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so I want to go out. We were talking about the future. I want to go and relive the past because here on 5 to Go, you have Dan Elliott, who's been in this sport for a long, long time, been at the tip tops of the lowest lows in the sport. Yeah, I already feel old today. Let's make (laughs) it a lot (laughs) older. I meant that in a good way, but sure, okay, that too. Experienced. Eric Von Hessler, who's been an observer of not just NASCAR but short tracks for a long time, and and I'm, I'm just 
into it, man. And I get to go in the garage sometimes, and I love it. So I want to talk to you, Dan, about Talladega, which is just this Bermuda Triangle of a racetrack. It produces some of the craziest moments, some of the most exciting things. And I want to talk about your number nine team's rally there in 1985, that story that I'm sure gets embellished a little bit over the years about how you came from three laps down under green to win the race. Can you recall what that rally was like, what put you behind, and then how you made, how Bill as a driver and you and Ernie as a crew made that up? Well, it, it wasn't as much. It was two laps down and oh, see already I embellished it. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's one of those deals where we had an oil line that everybody thought the car blew up. Even Bill said, Well, yeah, I'm smoking, but it's still running. So Ernie says, Bring it down pit road, bring it down pit road. We find an oil line that is loose and we were able to tighten it back up relatively quickly and and losing two laps at Talladega feels like an eternity, but still making it up. And we really never had been forced to run as hard as we could run. And and this is a credit to Bill and the car. And everybody did their part on that day. The, the crew did their part. Bill did his. Engine did its part. And car definitely did its part. So all all the stars lined up and and i keep telling everybody that that whole year 85 was just a divine year a fairy tale year anyway because of the things that happened because i was born out. <laughs> and it was one of those days where everything lined up and had anything have gone wrong no you wouldn't have done what you did but we were never put in that position to have to run that hard or do what we did and it was one of the days that Everyone and everything stepped up to the plate. So given, that was a big time rally. Given there. the qualifying yeah. laps that used to come from Bill Elliott on those tracks, he was probably doing qualifying laps uh, throughout a lot of that race. I would imagine to make up that much. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that was the thing that nobody could even draft with him. The car was that good, but but that was one of the worst races, also too, because then NASCAR looks at the fact of you're this far ahead of the competition. Uh then we have to do something to rein you back in because the racing is going to be terrible if you persist in stinking up the show. And What, what did they do? Well, it, it isn't what they did. It's, it's just the rules got changed several times, and it penalized the Ford teams, not just us. It penalized all the Ford teams, and which wasn't fair to them. But we just worked harder and found a couple of things and were able to – start out the year and and kind of end the year would have left out a championship that was the only thing about the year that that kind of was the the downer of the whole thing was you didn't you didn't walk away with a championship but it, as we've said before and this is why i say a champion needs to run the races and compete and be a champion it's it's not like any other sport because you need to you need to be a champion you need to run all the races be in all the races and finish better than anybody else. And so you, you, what you're saying is then is that the playoff format, and you've said it before in past episodes, but I think this is what you're referring to, the playoff format doesn't do it for you because it doesn't reward somebody for having that body of work the entire season. You're also saying then that Kyle Busch in 2015, having missed, the, what was it, 12, 13 races, should not have been allowed to be in the playoffs because he missed that much. Well, I think that if you, I think it ought to be in the deal. If you miss a race, then you, you can't be in the championship chase. And because back before, if you missed a race, you were out of the championship chase. And, 
and that's the way it was all along. It, it rewarded the champions, and I think that the points ought to add up at the end of the year. It may um, there may be a happy medium. That's I do remember that uh, I think the reason a lot of this started was because too many championships are being won with three races left to go. Right. Matt something. Kenseth's O three championship. The most. Really bo- did it. I mean, I like yeah. Matt Kenseth, but that was the most boring well, has championship. Has changed very much at all as far as the champions and the amount of money that's gone into each team that's won the championship? Because I recall here that the same couple of people have probably won the championship for the last 15 years. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, Jimmy yeah. Johnson has his seven championships. Tony yeah. Stewart yeah. had uh, two of them in the chase area era and then one of them before the chase era. But then there have been the a cha- lot of one-offs, too. I yeah. mean, you got your Brad Keselowski, your Kurt Busch. It does not change the cream Bush. rises to the top, and right. the cream rises to the top because you're the best prepared, and the best prepared is usually got the most wherewithal to back it up. Well, that's for sure, and I think the chase has both rewarded and hurt Jimmy Johnson yeah. because he's because he had some bad luck in some past iterations of the playoffs, but he also just came to life. The forty eighteen came to life, and it really hurt. I'll tell you, if there's one driver who probably would be in that seven championship conversation, JG. That's yeah. correct. Aren't there two? If you go, if you go look at the old point sco- scoring system, I think he wins two more championships. It's something right? like something that, like, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, before they switched to this format where it really rewards winning, Dale Jr. had come off an extremely consistent 2013 season where he hadn't won any races, and under this current format we have now, yeah. if it had been in 2013, I think it was... Dale Jr. would have won the championship with zero wins. It's like, you know, it's like the arrow package every year. You never They're aiming at something, and sometimes they get close, and sometimes they get far away. I think the one good thing out of this format that changes this year, and I didn't expect to like it, is I do like the stage racing. It does put excitement into the middle of the race. Sure. But I agree, I, once you get to the eliminations and the playoffs, again, I think they're kind of chasing TV with it. Yeah, I think so, but I wonder if you, you, I wonder which is it the t- dog wagging the tail or the tail wagging the dog, chicken and the egg. Because yeah, you're chasing TV, but TV is going after ratings, and ratings mm-hmm. are people watching. So are you chasing after fans? Then it, it's it gets. I want people at the tracks. To yeah. me, that you're going to know the sport is healthy when you when you when you when you when you see a lot of sellouts or close to sellouts. And that's not just NASCAR. That's all motorsports right now. We might well, and, and it's a lot of sports right now yeah. too. And that's yeah. the thing. Although other sports are doing better, I think a lot of people are realizing it's just more fun, a lot easier, and cheaper to stay home. And I'm not. I can tailgate and right. drink a bunch of beer, do all this stuff at home. A lot. But of I'll tell say. you that a, yeah. a, a day at the races should be something that you really look forward to. I've always felt like it should be like a county fair. You know what I mean? It should yeah. be. It, it should be a whole weekend, and it's the and that's the kind of thing that brings families in. And then you start going for the first time when you're four or five, and then you're driving. But if you you know, it 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 it. it introduces the sport to to young children they grow up in it and it seems to me that uh, it's not what it used to be when you go to the track i have to be honest with you i don't i don't think it's just me because i'm still a fan you know i don't even have a favorite driver i love a race yeah i love a race sure. and then if, if there's three or four or five drivers that are battling up for it for the last in the last 50 laps maybe then i'll say oh you know what i want so and so to win a couple of weeks ago it's like yeah i want chase to get his first sure. one but uh in reality i'm a fan of the race and what happens during a race and i, I think there's a lot less of people like me at the track now yeah, i think absolutely i think a lot of people are 
they're just there because they got tickets or somebody brought them. And yeah, they, yeah I mean, Vegas does easily. well, but my guess is there's a lot of uh, you know people are getting free tickets at the casinos, right? I think there's a lot of that. I think yeah. also there's just a lot of people in town, and so yeah. they plan their Vegas trip around the race. Right, I, right, that's right. The last three right. times Cause, I've cause, gone, because uh, Phoenix does well too. They seem to be th- those West races. Races out west seem to do well. Yeah, there's less of them, less yeah. saturation for sure. I don't know, Dan, any more thoughts on this uh, subject here about uh, intrigue, I guess, the racetrack? You know, you know, you, you can talk about all this stuff till the cows come home. It's not going to change anything. <laughs> As I said, NASCAR's got a direction they want to go in, and I just wish that there was something that um, would let the fans know or let people know what direction it's going in because somebody's definitely – pulling the head whatever direction it's going in and whether you like it or whether you don't it's what you got and you better enjoy what you got well that's for yeah. sure hey i wanted to mention a couple of other rallies because we had bill coming back from two laps down at talladega and really one of those truly historic and memorable races there at talladega i think about kevin harvick in the 2007 daytona 500 running seventh or eighth yeah. And just over a period of a few laps there, if you go on YouTube, they actually have the in-car camera with the spotter audio of uh, inside that then the number 29 car, and it was magical. And all of a sudden, he was right yeah. there next to Mark Martin. You know, one like that, first of all, that broke my heart because I wanted Mark Martin to win it, that race. It really did, but, too, uh, yes. Uh, there's a Dale Jarrett one at Talladega. Uh, years. I, I don't. It was at a period of time where he wasn't winning well, many was races. Was it his final career win, the one in 05? Maybe it was. It, 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 he was with a few laps left. He was somewhere in the twenties, and I had that was at a time where you could buy in car for like five or six different cars. Oh yeah. And I taped it. I don't know what happened. This is VCR tapes, VHS tapes, and I actually went back and just got to that point in the race with such and such laps left, and just sat in the car with him. And you want to talk magic? I mean, I think he was twenty fifth or twenty sixth with a few laps left and won the race. Now, both of these examples are restrictor plate races yes. where that can happen. And you got to throw in the example of Dale Earnhardt's final career win, Talladega yeah. 2000, where he was 18th with three yes. laps to go. Yeah. And, you know, Junior was up front, and, yeah, he, he sliced through yeah. the field with Kenny Wallace punish, punish, pushing him, yeah. yeah. Before before we go, there was a question. I don't, When did What year did restrictor plates start? Uh, 1988, right, Dan? That's it. Yeah. And and now that was my feeling is because I have a lot of friends who are like, oh, they're afraid to go faster. That was done for fan protection, right? The the fencing yeah. can only hold <laughs> so much. If you, uh, the fencing's not going to be able to hold 225 miles an hour going in. That was it, right? done because of insurance. They NASCAR would not have been able to gotten insurance on any of the speedways. Right. Okay. Had they not done something to slow the cars down because they felt like the magic number was right around 200. I told um, I told Mike Helton one time at one of the races. I said I've got the cure for this, and it didn't make him too happy. He said, "What's <laughs> that?" I said, "But the grandstands in the infield." I said, "I'd take care of it." Wow. <laughs> And let him go racing, and uh, he didn't. He didn't feel too happy about that. Yeah, I remember that's, that, I that's remember not that, a bad yeah. idea. The short see. tracks we used to go to, the uh, the pits were outside outside the track. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See. Yeah. Let's let's kill all the pit crew. <laughs> <laughs> <I know>. so, <laughs> there you go. See, that's two references. Dan talking about crew members get hit, and so that was Bobby Allison's 1988 Talladega wreck that tore down the fence in July of '88. It was 80, 87, wasn't it? Maybe yes. Maybe right. '87. Right. That's what it was. Because that yeah, Bill won the pole. And then Bobby Allison tore down the grandstand or the, tore yeah. down the fence at the start finish line there. And then yeah, speaking of her, year, is, yeah. I don't know why I'm just thinking of this. These old uh, these old tracks I used to go to when I was a kid. Uh, they there were tracks, usually dirt tracks, that didn't have fencing. 
They oh, would yeah. just they would just bank off. Oh, they go over the sides and the bank, Talladega yeah. Short Track. Is it still like the that? Talladega yeah. Short Track and also uh, Watermelon Ca- or now it's Crisp County Motorsports Park in Unadilla or in, yeah. uh yeah in Unadilla. Same Cordial. Cordial. Yeah. Cordial. Cordial. Yeah, Unadilla's yeah. down the road. Yes, Cordial. So those are those yeah. are interesting from a fan's perspective to watch a car just disappear. <laughs> now, did you ever go to Richmond before they enlarge Richmond? Did you ever go to Richmond? When the the, the Richmond pile? Fairgrounds. Yeah. No. They had a galvanized pipe for the guardrail. It was just a galvanized <laughs> pipe. And I'm thinking, this is sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, Appearances. The good, the good old yeah. days. The first yeah. race I was ever doing any kind of track announcing or anything, I was a pit reporter for the gas series, the Georgia Asphalt Series, which is like saying in United States, U.S. states, right? The gas yes. series. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and then that race, it had rained a bunch. And it finally got going, and cars were shooting out of turn three and four where there was no fence there at Cordial, then Watermelon Capital Speedway. And I remember Zach Reardon, who's, uh, whose dad, Mike Reardon, runs the Napa Racing account for Napa. Okay, that's all the connections. Zach Reardon's car got stuck in the creek outside the track. They had to pull it out. It got filled with mud. I mean, it, it, this is in 2009. Yeah. We're not talking the 80s yeah. or 70s. So No, but it, it, reminds me, it reminds me of those stories about those first Daytona races down on the beach where cars would just, they would, just, they, they would, they, they would wreck in the corners and just build up until the end of the race. There was one, and one of those I saw the replay recently where, I forget which driver it was, but he flipped his car plumb over. I mean, it tumbled a bunch of times. He kept going and finished <laughs> yes, third. Right. I, those were great well, times. Well, because of a trip. Cadillac, Cadillac Earnhardt at Talladega, whenever he wrecked out there, and yeah. they taped the car up, and he finished the race. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he, he noticed that the wheels were still straight, and so he, they, or they fired up the engine to go put it on the record. He goes, oh, he goes busting out of the ambulance. These are great stories, and I wish that – there was more of that now. It's just so yeah. refined. It is. <laughs> it's just so refined. I'd like to see more. I don't know. We can get into this next week, but and maybe it's a terrible idea, and I'm just a fan, so maybe the different tires would ruin the racing. I don't know. But I would like to see, because Indy is hurting more than NASCAR, uh, I would like to see some mixed weekends. I'd, I'd yeah. like to see an Indy race on Saturday night and uh, or on Saturday and a, a NASCAR race on Sunday. Now, again, I don't know about the tires and whether that would, if they can coexist. I'm not sure. But uh, I'd rather see another truck race the semi-tractor race <laughs> yeah. they had an atlanta motor speedway on saturday and then the cup race on sunday <laughs> that sounds good See, those are good times right <laughs> you're talking about a good weekend do you remember that dougie do you remember when they came to atlanta with those, i think that was before i used to come to atlanta i don't remember when they had the semi-trailers they there absolutely tore the walls down with those trucks <laughs> oh poor ed did they race the whole track or that inner track they raced the whole track. <laughs> oh, buddy, they were. They had a head of steam on them. There's one thing for sure with the smokestacks and stuff. You could tell, definitely tell when the driver was in the throttle and when yeah. he was out. Yeah, oh, that, they, see, that's a yeah. That, uh, we we can we can solve the world's problems here. We got we're gonna have this ep- these episodes every week five to go. You can find them on wsbradio.com. Maybe you got it there. Maybe you got it on goprn.com. So you're hearing it from two different places. Um, before we go, Eric von Hessler, I'm I'm gonna come crash your party. On Wednesday, I'm gonna go crash it tomorrow. Oh, yeah, if you're yeah, hearing this morning, now, if yeah. you're hearing this in this small window of time to make plans, McDonough Square tomorrow morning, nine the, o'clock. Kirby G's. Kirby G's. Now, yeah. have you been to Kirby G's? I have seen pictures. Okay, so I think Von he- or uh, uh, Eric Erickson has done some yes. shows from there. Those so are we, the pictures I we, saw. We yeah. have a WSB radio rapport with that place. So I'm yeah. uh, I'm gonna come down from Tucker. Uh, Pete said, "Hey, you should go down." I said, "Okay, yeah, I'll no, go. absolutely, no, we need breakfast. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a big crowd and uh, have a whole lot, whole lot of fun." And so that's still gonna be your normal hours, nine to eleven. Nine to eleven. 
and then we're going to do the uh, podcast hour from 11 to noon after that. And it's going to be the first of a series on Wednesdays where, uh, you know, we have the new time slot. So I want to get out and meet people and say hello. Doug, so, I, I heard that Eric was going to do the Walmart at Dawsonville. Yes. The Walmart at Dawsonville. <laughs> yeah, they, well, right in front of the McDonald's inside the Walmart, right? <laughs> we're just going to be in the parking lot. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have so many people. We just need the, we need oh, the parking lot. Hilarious. So, so folks that are li- listening in this window of time, if it's before Wednesday morning you're listening, head down to Kirby G's there in the McDonough squares just off of highway 42 and mcdonough and see that and i'll be down there too and and dan if anybody wants to do business with you how can they get in touch to get your race shop working on some things just have them call you okay <laughs> got it got it tweet me at doug turnbull we'll do that well folks thanks for tuning in another episode in the books of the five to go racing podcast i'm doug turnbull he's eric von hessler that other guy he's dan elliott and we hope to see you next week thanks for tuning in